This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. After a dizzying expansion from China to the United States, the pandemic forced a tough reset at Oyo Hotels and Homes. Take a listen to my chat with Ritesh Agarwal, the charismatic 27-year-old founder and CEO of the plucky Indian global travel startup backed by SoftBank. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Yuna Galani, Associate Editor of Reuters Breaking Views, the global financial commentary arm of the mighty Reuters News. I'm tuning in from India's financial capital, Mumbai. For this week's episode, I sat down with Ritesh Agarwal, the 27-year-old founder and CEO of SoftBank-backed Oyo Hotels and Homes. Ritesh tells us candidly what it was like to be a lone founder at the top of one of the world's fastest growing companies as the pandemic brought the global travel industry and his business to a sudden halt. We talk about the hard lessons learned from Oyo's breakneck expansion, the refocusing and resizing of his business and his company's plans to IPO and why India's capital market could be an exciting alternative to a debut via a SPAC in the United States. We also talk about that $2 billion capital raise he did to increase his own stake in the business prior to the global health crisis and how that stacks up against the group's whipsawing valuation. For now, a recovery is in sight. Travellers from Europe to India are packing their bags and hitting the road again for staycations, workcations, holidays and more. Fun fact, for this interview, Ritesh took time out of his busy schedule quarantining in Dubai en route to Singapore. In total, for the journey, he's spending a month locked up in a hotel room. Plenty of time then to plot that stock market debut. Take a listen. I just want to start off maybe by asking you, um, how have you been holding up through the pandemic? You know, when I, India has had more than its fair share of virus trauma, you and I have been here, we've, we've lived through some super strict lockdowns, we've seen a lot of people get impacted and, and, you know, it's just been very, very devastating. And it's been particularly tough for people who live by themselves, as I understand that you do. I would love to know, and I'm sure everybody else would love to know, what's been your personal coping strategy through the pandemic, outside work this, this past 18 months or so? You know, I I agree with you. The last couple of years, I think, have been uh, reasonably tough, especially given, you know, especially for people who live alone, uh, their workmates, uh, their colleagues are essentially the best way of getting away, right? So you almost spend all your time at workspace uh, and you come back home just to 
sleep or get food so it was of course quite different for me but at the same time i think i had a lot of respite given uh, my pet i also got to um, you know uh, uh, adopt a straight last year uh, so i think a combination of those have uh, kept me in good spirit in in probably what's uh, one of the toughest times uh, both personally and professionally especially the second wave i was in delhi all through the second wave and especially in april and it was quite um, quite quite a time but but thankfully things are getting better so what's that that was like two months you were at home in the pandemic and you were sort of there with man's best friend you got adopted a stray dog right yes yes a stray dog uh, who was uh, a couple of months old but now is close to 7 uh, 7 seven or 8 months old Well, I hope you have some uh, pet-friendly properties out there because you'll uh, need to travel with your um, with your new companion, um, I'm sure. But you know, maybe tell me a little bit before the pandemic. Oyo had an aim to be the world's largest hotel chain by room, unseating the likes of Marriott. You know, albeit you have a pretty unique business model. You know, you're using tech to help. small hotel and homeowners increase their revenues and you know you're trying to create a basic standard for customers who are going to stay at these places that aren't necessarily like the five star chains that you know are much better known um but even before the covid-19 pandemic hit and hit us and sort of grounded us all the the whole sort of speed of growth looked a little bit toppy because you were growing in almost every region in the world and it was really hard to track. Um uh, I think it was probably even hard for for your team to track. I mean, we can come back a little bit to how the business model has changed. But looking back for you, what was behind that singular focus on growth? So I think first of Una, you're absolutely right. The year 2019 which preceded uh the year of the pandemic was probably the highest growth that we've uh, seen in a in our company's uh, history. so if you look back it will be it is critical that we look back before 19 to understand the thought of 19 so until the year 2018 oyo was primarily an india based company where we focused on customers and hotel owners also in india where we would go give them a piece of our product charge a fee against it fairly straightforward but at the same time in the year 2016 we started experimenting our business in one of the other geographies uh, which is in malaysia and as we started seeing product market fit come in in the year 2018 we felt it was time to take this product to as many places as we could and that's what we did in 2019 as a part of which there were a few things that went right but at the same time as you yourself are mentioning there are few things that did not go right and let me try and call those out for you a few things that went right are fairly straightforward we went from serving like 20000 merchants to 100000 plus uh, small hotel and homeowners around the world we went from serving 10 million customers to over 50 million customers around the world so this volume and the scale we were able to bring in impact was great we were able to recruit high quality talent and we were able to make sure that we got significant amount of consumer and merchant uh, information that we could work with them on to get better repeats in the future but at the same time a few things did not go right the first among them is the uh, you know economics that is pre covid our primary uh, pre 2019 our primary business model until december 18 was we would provide a piece of software and charge a 20 to 30% fee for the transactions however 
we felt so confident about our proposition that we started underwriting and started providing minimum guarantees to some of the hotels which in reflection even though economically might be right it was not the right thing to do because for some of the hotels uh, you know it just led to more friction than less friction that's one even though at the peak we still had less than 15% 10 to 15% assets under the minimum guarantee program which we started reversing in september the second we just hope, like we, we were launching in too many countries at the same time and i think as as a reflection of which in 2020 right after the pandemic we prioritized and we said there are three markets where we are market leading india southeast asia and europe they contribute 90% of our gross margin dollars we want to try and make sure that we double down on these three markets and the last but not the least is just people right i think people being close tightly engaged a top culture we're very proud of our culture until 18 we were among the top companies to work for in india consistently i think as we grew dramatically uh, we did not get enough time to be able to bring everyone together towards the same mission and i think that's what we've been trying to do for the last year and a half right from running weekly all hands when th- uh, challenges come to the fore we would uh, make decisions like moving the company to four days uh, work weeks so uh, we've been trying to make changes in all three and it's a journey uh, i i think so far So there's a lot to sort of like unpick there. I mean, you've been on quite a journey. Tell us a little bit. I mean, what what was your your geographical focus before included China, which is sort of one of the toughest sort of markets to crack as a foreign company, particularly Indian startups who don't really see many of them going there. And at one point it was your biggest market uh, by some measures overseas. Um that's no longer the case and there has been I think some um retrenchments to some other markets i think uh latam japan there's been a bit of adjustment tell us what you learn about your experience of trying to go to china and why that's no longer one of your main focuses yeah i think uh to begin with uh one of the things i do want to share is that um even though we are among the uh, earlier batch of indian companies uh, indian startups growing around the world i do see that in the years to come you will see more and more uh very well run indian startups grow to other parts uh, around the world building consumer brands but more specifically about china i think uh china has a significant market size of uh small hotels and holiday homes which is an opportunity that has been quite intriguing to us uh even before uh launching uh you know oyo in malaysia i was constantly researching about the industry in china just given the size there over the years even though china grew in scale with the impact of pandemic one of the critical decisions we had to make was we will double down in markets with high quality margin structures china even though has significant scale had relatively lower margins for oyo structurally around 4 to 5% lower margin than other markets primarily given the cost of customer acquisition given that while we still continue to operate in china and grow but at the same time our capital allocation strategy is designed to double down in markets with uh, market leadership as well as high economic uh, strength but you know one uh, additional thing i want to end with is latin america for instance uh, i'd like to update on that you'd find it fascinating that latin america there was quite a bit of news around it even though that happened we kept our heads down used technology to reinvent the business you'd find it interesting that even though the revenue has remained stayed as much as it was when we discussed last but at the same time the business is now profitable well run and growing again 
but primarily run through a digital model. So from our perspective, we also think that some of this is a breather, breather for some of these markets to say that let India, Southeast Asia, Europe be the big markets in focus to deliver and so that rest of the markets can put their head down and uh, improve on some of the areas that they need to and need some time for that. I mean, how, how many countries are you in now and how confident are you that the position that you have sort of refocused on now is the position going forward, i.e. there will not be any more retrenchment. I mean, obviously, we still have the uncertainty of a third wave, who knows, but where we are today. I feel very confident that we are in a place where uh, we are ready for uh, making sure that we double down on recovery. Look, uh, and we'll talk about COVID and its recovery uh, later on during the session, I hope. But just generally, I think what I'm seeing now is that we are currently in the place of doubling down in India, Southeast Asia and Europe. And we don't intend to change our position either way. So that is, either we do not anticipate in the near future to double down in any of the newer markets beyond India, Southeast Asia, Europe, or pull back. At this point of time, the focus is we have the right formula. We are in the right time when the travel is surging again. We want to use this opportunity to double down and increase our share in our core uh, market-leading uh, geographies. Yeah, and and, and 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 what percentage of your workforce did you have to cut, essentially, to, to make this big adjustment? You know, to begin with, I think um, uh, if you think about... Uh, what it led, uh, what led this, led to this, was actually a pretty significant event. That, if you remember, last year in April, Oyo's revenues uh, dropped by over sixty-six percent in a period of thirty days for a company that was growing at a triple-digit CAGR for uh, a couple of years before that. So it was a very substantial uh, event, as a part of which we had to immediately begin. Uh, making structural changes in the organization. And one of them was we had to send a lot of our colleagues to furloughs, probably the toughest decision in my professional career ever. Uh, now, I could say that we did everything we could, but at the same time, it was still one of the toughest decisions um, and, and frankly, something that impacted, uh, of course, uh, folks inside, but, but nothing to the uh, level that it impacted the people who got impact, uh, uh, impacted by the furloughs. I think the percentage ranges by different countries, Una, so it will uh, range by different uh, geographies. But I think typically you can think about it as uh, this was higher in geographies which were not uh, the core markets like India, Southeast Asia and Europe. And in India, Southeast Asia and Europe, it was relatively lesser just given uh, these markets had uh, significant market leadership and we wanted to keep investing for the future and, and our growth. Yeah, I mean, and then I guess just one sort of more, one more point when in terms of looking backwards and then we'll look forwards, I guess. Um, you know, you you mentioned that you had got into this sort of practice of effectively uh, providing minimum guarantees. You know, you were essentially underwriting some of the nights uh, for the hotel owners. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because it reminds me of the sort of classic playbook of tech companies, you know, sort of uh, when the ride hailing companies were all starting, Uber, Ola and others, you know, it's like you would get buy two rides, get one free or something like that. And it was sort of like almost an equivalent of that. But it did lead to a lot of disputes. And that has, uh, you know, created a lot of headlines and sort of negative publicity. How have you dealt with that and how much of that is proportionally how much of that is, is an outstanding problem for you 
So that's a very fair question, Una, and something that I have uh, shared for a while is that to begin with, pre-19, we did not have any of these things. We used to go and provide our software, get a fee. But in 19, we got so confident given our results in 2018 that we can go provide our products and give a two, two and a half times jump in revenue or one and a half to two and a half times jump in revenue that we felt maybe we can underwrite some of the assets to grow the number of uh, you know merchants or hotels and homes that we can sign up on our platform. Even though at the peak, it was just 10 to 15% of our platform, it was still a very substantial number, just given the number of uh, hotels and homes that we were signing up at one point uh, of time. So in that context, with the impact of COVID, I and our management team took this as a primary responsibility to start improving uh, on our merchant services. There were three things what our merchants liked about us. The first is we were able to give them a revenue lift. The second, they could get more direct demand to our app, website, etc. Uh, we are among, we are the third most downloaded app in the world as per App Annie after two of the other leading travel companies. And uh, owners love us because we give them a software that allows them to operate their premises through OOS. However, there were a few things that they wanted us to improve. Broadly speaking, it can be categorized in two halves. Una. The first is the minimum guarantee hotels, the hotels which were under minimum guarantees at per this 10 to 15%. And let me give you examples of the kind of disputes that would come. So for instance, one of our partners would say that I have signed up 15 rooms for you and you should pay me the 15 room minimum guarantee amount. And we would say that because two of those rooms were not available, we would like to pay you the minimum guarantee of 13 rooms. This would lead to a friction, which probably would have never happened if the booking uh, or the commission-based fee was the only way in which we operated. So given that, we took this as a learning and we said that 100% of our properties will go back to the base model. And we started changing this in September of 2019 itself. Now, look, it had its benefits because it allowed us to open a bunch of locations very similar to ride-hailing companies, uh, as you mentioned earlier. But at the same time, I think it was time for us to take this reflection and ensure this friction went away. The second thing was a bunch of feedbacks, right? Merchants said they wanted, so OYO gets full ladder on pricing. We control whether the room sells for $10 or $110. So merchants wanted some kind of influence over it. So we gave them an ability to change prices by 15 to 20% on our merchant side mobile product. They wanted more uh, uh, you know, details of the final uh, monthly account statement. So we started breaking it out into itemized statements like your phone bills are. So a lot of these things um, you know, were the first priority. The second is culture as a company, uh, Una. I have been running weekly for the last two years. Every week, Fridays and Saturdays, I run owner town halls through Zoom where thousands of our owners join and everybody is allowed to speak up for all good, bad and the ugly things and we work together and improve. And the last is our management sits every week and reviews 100% of the tickets. But at the end, it's still a journey. Currently, the good news is of our 100,000 plus merchants I anticipate less than 100 merchants where there are any significant, uh, you know, challenges that we are solving for. And when I say significant challenges, it's more than a couple of hundred dollars of uh, challenge uh, that we are solving for. So I believe uh, this is a journey. We are uh, halfway or more than halfway there, but we are in the pursuit of excellence. Yeah. And, And I mean... How do you sort of reflect personally on that decision to expand so quickly? I mean, I think, you know, looking from the outside, the obvious question is how much of it was fueled by easy VC money? I mean, money was pouring into OYO 
from everywhere and SoftBank, uh, you know, was leading the charge. So, so how much was the VC money responsible for that drive? So, you know, I'll break this answer down into three quick parts. The first bit is just saying, I believe if you look at the journey of any high growth company, Una, you will never see a straight curve, at least for the early few years. After that, of course, you see the standard compounding of 30-40% growth. But the first few years, you see a couple of years of rapid growth and a year or year and a half of balancing and then straddled growth. In this context, OYO has been no different. So if you look at OYO's history... Pre-2016, 2013 is when our company started. 2013 to 2016, we had rapid growth. But in 2016 and 2017, we actually were sort of flattish because we were consolidating our business. And then again, for the next three years, we grew 10 times. So in that context, um, I believe, uh, you know, that at one point of time, you just see a product market fit and you feel like I got to keep going. Um, and, you know, in reflection, of course, uh, I believe that's very critical. I believe that experience is cheap. Reflection of that experience is more valuable. So I think in reflection, I, of course, think that probably, uh, you know, it could have been more balanced. Uh, maybe by, uh, you know, six months, uh, I could have spread out the growth a little bit more. But that said, I think, um, you know, you never know until you have done it. Uh, the, the trick is being able to learn from it, acknowledge and rapidly improve and, and, and become a better company. And that's what we've been uh, intending to do. Um, I, I can tell you this, that, you know, I and our management believe that uh, we, we uh, are in charge of running the business and for the good decisions, our colleagues take the credit and for the tough ones, uh, the things that don't go well, uh, I uh, and, and, and uh, our, our group is responsible for it. We don't, um, we, we don't pass the buck. You know, you're uh, you're only 27 years old. Um, you're more than a decade younger than Airbnb's Brian Chesky. It's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, what big lessons have you learned from that kind of right-sizing and restructuring? Uh, you know, and how have you coped with that pressure? How do you feel you've coped with that pressure? So first off, I think you, um, you know, for, uh, I'm very inspired by Brian and Airbnb. Airbnb uh, is also uh, one of our partners and we do some business with them. But more importantly, I think the way Brian led through Airbnb through the crisis at a time when uh, during the June or, uh, you know, early part of last year, it was uh, going through challenges, at least uh, in external world. And by the end of the year, it was probably the biggest IPO um, uh, in, in the United States. So it's very inspiring for entrepreneurs like me, especially in the travel industry, to see uh, a turnaround like that being led. You know, this is a period which is personally been, of course, quite challenging, not just uh, for me, but frankly, everyone who's been here. Uh, you know, remember that we've been able to keep together most of our management team. A large number of entrepreneurs continue to fight this out. I think there are two to three things that have helped us. The first is that uh, when we started our company, we used to fight for survival every day. And we never let that survival spirit go away from us. So a period like COVID uh, is a challenge nevertheless, but it is a challenge that is still smaller than the challenge when we started the company. So it still feels uh, like we can see this through. Uh, and the second is we just have incredible belief uh, in what we are building because our hotel owners, we have... 100,000 plus hotel and homeowners running their business with us, many of whom have grown their businesses to 10 plus hotels each because of us. So I think that belief and our colleagues' belief is, is, is pretty incredible. So I think those things help us. But, you know, I will be honest in saying that, you know, 
it's 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 uh, it's not been mentally the most uh, uh, most sane period especially you know when somebody moves on you got to speak to them and when you speak to them uh, you know uh, both of you empty your hearts out uh, uh, and and uh, that's a conversation you have to live through uh, and not just one many and many of them uh, most founders sort of gradually have their ownership diluted as as more investors come in but you raised some 2 billion dollars of capital to increase your stake in oyo again something that happened just before the pandemic struck what i mean i think you've sort of spoken a little bit to what motivated you to do that um because you sort of obviously believe so much in the proposition but how does your company's sort of whip soaring valuation impact that and what is your valuation today so i think i'll uh, break this down into two parts you know one is uh, you know about my decision to increase ownership and the other about um, you know the valuation i think um, specifically about my ownership just for the interest for the viewers um, you know uh, a year and a half uh, two years back right before the pandemic a few months before that um, you know i was able to put together 2 billion dollars as a combination of um, you know uh, various uh, financial resources uh to be able to buy new ownership in the company uh we have clarified it of course on record is that it has nothing to do with softbank or softbank vision fund but uh it was primarily my perspective of wanting to increase further ownership uh and i have wanted to do that for the longest time if you speak to bejul at lightspeed who was our first uh institutional investor lightspeed is a tier uh one uh, venture capital firm even back in the day i used to request him to convert my salary into shares and ask him if there is a way in which i could increase uh, my my ownership and it is nothing to do with economics i mean of course economics is a good outcome but it is primarily to do with uh, long term belief in the mission uh, clearly i think in the time of pandemic uh, you know the valuations could range um, in different places but uh, the 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 capital that i have raised has nothing to do with the short term valuation shifts uh, our company may or may not have so in that context i feel comfortable about this and we are truly making this i'm making this decision with a long term view if you look at travel stocks they had a temporary drop but almost all travel stocks are ahead of pre pandemic levels now not to mention some stocks which are actually at significantly higher levels uh, as as we speak uh, speaking about oyo's valuation look i think uh, there has been a lot that has been talked about oyo's valuation including some uh, reportage uh, on on different uh, value numbers uh, i think my belief has always been that uh, privately held high growth companies their valuations are eventually decided uh, in the public markets so i think uh, the right uh, the right people to respond to it will be uh, the public markets whether it is uh, higher lower equal um, uh, and so on of course all the travel stocks are looking up but i'm not sure uh, you know our stock specifically is something that once we go public we will know more about our last uh, you know uh, uh, specific transactions are of course in public domain Thanks. So thanks for trying to answer that question. Um it's a, you know like how much cash do you have on the balance sheet? A couple more specific questions. And I mean how much cash do you have on the balance sheet now? I think the number seems to constantly always be a billion dollars. I'm some quite intrigued because it often doesn't change. Yeah, so I think uh you know uh, first of all I want to clarify that uh you know we had shared this um uh, you know some point last year that it was uh 1 billion dollar including all the group companies at this point of time it would be in the 7 780 to 800 range in terms of all the group companies uh, combined in terms of cash 
uh, available with us. And but you know that sort of brings us on to the next thing because you're in the process now of wrapping up this syndicated loan in the US. I think you're raising some $600 million to refinance all of your existing debt. Um, it's interesting to me because before uh, before you, you, you sort of tried this, um, Singapore's Grab did something similar just weeks before they agreed to a record-setting $40 billion merger with a special acquisition company that will see them list in New York. How much was Grab an influence to the deal that you are wrapping up now? Look, clearly, uh, your Grab was a very critical inspiration because, as you may uh, see, there are not many companies um, in the region who have done TLB offerings. Actually, Grab was probably the first one, uh, and we have followed them. And Grab being a shareholder, we were able to constantly learn from uh, their experiences um, of of the TLB. Um, You know, as a part of that, there were two or three reasons why we chose to do it. The first is, of course, we were inspired by and intrigued by um, you know, Grab's efforts, but at the same time, we were internally thinking uh, about um, you know something like this. Um, and the reasons were two or threefold. The first is, I think, we felt one of the best ways of setting accountability of our company is to make sure that our numbers can be uh, explained to the external market. Equity analysts are already tough enough to talk to. Debt analysts and the rating agency analysts are actually harder uh, because, you know, because the responsibility that they carry. So we are probably one of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, first startups in our country to get rated by uh, Moody's, Fitch and uh, rating firms like those. Uh, and it took quite a bit of responsibility for us. And, we've, uh, and we now have to stand behind uh, a lot of our longer term uh, aspirations that, uh, that exist in the business in, in times to come. And the second is we just felt it was also a great way for us to engage with the Wall Street investors who uh, understand, um, you know, uh, global businesses and routinely talk to companies which are both public and some of them private to try and also build an operating relationship and and share consistent growth in the business over over the quarters. Uh, So far, the experience has has been positive. The use of proceeds will be both. It will be partly refinancing past and partly uh, general corporate purpose that is just using it for operating uh, businesses. So in that context, uh, you know, of course, uh, we, we intend to update uh, very soon on, on uh, the progress. But uh, so far, we've been very happy uh, with, with, with the results so far. And, and how soon do you think you might list? Well, that's a, that's a pretty straightforward question. So, uh, you know, I think uh, from our perspective, Una, we are uh, clear that you know, we want to be uh, at some point of time, we will, of course, consider a potential public offering. However, as you may have noticed over the last two years, we are one of the few, uh, you know, uh, uh, early you know growth companies which have essentially invested in a primarily independent and non-executive board. Uh, so people like Betsy Atkins, Steve Albright, Troy, who was uh, CEO at Starbucks, um, you know, these are people who've come in over the last year and a half and have been primarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, advised uh, business by them. I think in that context, currently we already operate as if we are a publicly managed company. So in that context, uh, at the end of the day, our job as a management is to make sure that we are prepared 
and ready to be uh, publicly uh, uh, listed and then the timeline is is the decision of uh, of the board however we are looking at the new upcoming ipos in india very closely you know there's been a lot of positive uh, word about somato which is going public any time now uh, and there are few other companies who are uh, following them closely so we are uh, watching the uh, updates very closely and i'm sure that our board will weigh in on both our business progress and and the general uh, listings of uh, you know uh, technology companies and and uh, uh, our potential path that's interesting so you haven't necessarily ruled out the uh, the india option as a listing destination and yeah i think i agree with you i think it's going to be very interesting zomato will definitely be a test for the bourse and uh, and and a few of the others that we have to come i mean how much is sort of profitability here a factor in terms of your decisions i mean where are you now compared to where you are pre pandemic I think that's a very important area of improvement that we've made over the last couple of years and it was uh, partly out of choice but to be fairly honest that was also partly out of compulsion just given the uncertainties of the pandemic in April uh, 2020 I think we felt that we had to respond to it and make sure that we made uh, substantial improvements um so just to give you quick context of uh, where we are in numbers and then share what has gone behind I think we are currently already at a um you know um uh, around a 4 to 5 million dollar uh, burn but we are rapidly improving on that um, uh, and this is across the entire group including all the corporate expenditures and so on however that said um you know right before the wave 2 for over a quarter oyo india operated profitably uh oyo europe in the first 6 months Uh, has continued to be profitable uh, and has made double digit million dollars in ebitda so we are constantly in the path of making sure that each one of our geographies uh, you know uh, are moving in a certain direction of uh, improvement and it is broadly been driven by two to three important metrics the first and the foremost has been uh, partner advocacy i think like i mentioned to you earlier last two years i think we've basically been very very uh, merchant backwards uh, and within that ensuring technology is a very core manner in which we uh, delivered great service that ensured that our owners kept buying newer services from us and that has ensured our margins held and they were of course able to benefit from some additional revenue second is gross margin i think our gross margin percentage is improved even though um you know uh, uh, uh you know we were able to give uh, some rebates to our merchants uh, in the times of pandemic because we had to give some discounts to help our merchants the primary reason of it is the last few percentage of properties that were under minimum guarantees them uh, some of them were loss making them going away ensured that the standard margin uh, hit around a 25% uh, plus mark in 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 terms of uh, just quality of uh, margin and the last but probably one of the most important is a combination of focus that is uh, even before pandemic our core markets of india southeast asia europe were more profitable than the newer growth markets as we reprioritized our focus that had a direct impact in the bottom line combined with usage of technology for example today 85% of our customers and merchants use chatbots and chat to engage with us rather than call center or local account managers 
things like those have structurally changed the margin quality of the business and i believe uh, all of these things are not just for the last year they are here to stay because that's what the color of the business was pre 2019 so in some way um, you know we've we've uh, you know it's like make um, if life gives you lemons uh, make lemonade out of it so uh, we use this period to try and make sure that we got our fundamental health right to be prepared for the rapid growth that stands in front of us as as travel comes back yeah and just like you know one more question about the sort of expansion i guess is there were a lot of analogies made between oyo and we work at the time i mean how what did you think of those what did you were they fair how do you look at how do you think about that so you know um uh, this is probably the second time we are dealing with it because in the year 2016 uh you know uh, there was also one more news saying that you know oyo is like another e-commerce company in india i think each one of these businesses uh you know uh, have of course their strengths as well as areas to improve in the same manner oyo is a unique company um in its in its own uh, you know perspective uh, i want to just call uh, so so given that i think i saw this almost like a you know ability for us to try and say that this is the time that we should put our heads down and execute our business and if our results are good over 7 8 10 15 quarters the market will look at the numbers and and appreciate it and uh, you know it's been visible in uh, the case of airbnb uh, and various other companies who also went into the uh, impact of the pandemic at, at one point of time so i think uh, from our perspective the strength of our business model which is primarily give a software to the merchant and increase revenue for them and on the other side give customers a mobile experience which they used to reserve and use that consumer franchise um uh, to stay with you and make a fee against it and have high operating efficiencies on the back of it to serve primarily by using uh, chatbots and chat oriented experiences is the very critical factor in our business and we are sure that that is why the numbers over the last two years we've been able to not just survive but be among the a uh, few ones that are coming out uh, you know hopefully stronger out of the pandemic uh, we hope that this is the same uh, trend that we can continue over the next few years so i want to ask you about travel next but just i'm going to give a quick reminder to our viewers those of you who have registered can just submit your questions we'll move to those shortly just use your little chat box at the bottom but richesh tell us about you know you have this wonderful perch from which you can sort of see the travel trends and the industry changing I mean what are the big trends you're seeing because I think there's been a lot of discussion about the industry changing but I you know when I go out and about and I do my traveling and I'm sort of often out and about um you know I see people a lot of people traveling as they were before so what has changed and how many of those changes do you really feel permanent I think first off and this is something that has been said earlier I can only um you know uh, shared my agreement with it which is essentially travel will not be exactly the same again um uh, you know as it was pre pandemic it, it it it's never going to be exactly the same uh, there are going to be fundamental shifts and this is our opportunity for companies like us and frankly every other travel company to prepare for that kind of a shift so i'll break it out into three broad parts the first is you know just generally what we're seeing in numbers with a prism of around the globe the second is to give you a context of specifically uh, what we are seeing in uh, our business and how our company has changed uh, and probably the last one is just a, a future looking perspective of 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 what i think may happen um the first bit is just to give you quick numbers 
any country with 40% plus first jab vaccine rate, we have seen our numbers either fully recover or, um, you know, grow ahead of um, uh, those matrix. So, for instance, in the United States, uh, especially after the Memorial Day, we have seen that not just have the numbers come back to pre-COVID levels, they have actually breached those by a margin. And, uh, you know, if all goes well this month, uh, U.S. is going to send us um, you know, uh, cash uh, uh, to the headquarters. So it's a pretty, and fi- figuratively, not specifically, we'll keep the cash in US and invest it in the future if required. Um, the second is, I think we've seen this in Europe as well. Just in the month of April, I was actually quite concerned and Rob must have seen this in Europe. The second wave was continuing to be strong. The vaccination rate was not that uh, uh, quick. There were only 10% or 12% first jab rate in Europe. But by the end of May or early June, they had rapidly grown that. And now Europe is at a 40% plus uh, first jab rate in, in most of the countries that we operate in. And the bookings have grown by two and a half to three times. And uh, this summer's, you know, I was we were just talking about Denmark, given the uh, impending uh, uh, semi-final match. Uh, I think in that context, are in if you want to book a holiday home uh, with us in Denmark, probably chances are you can't find any uh, over the summer season. Um, and we are we are pretty large in Denmark. We are uh, market leaders by uh, by a reasonable size in terms of our uh, vacation rental management business. Um, and and the third bit is uh, we are seeing the same trends in, for example, India. In India, as you know, the wave two was a massive effect, right? Uh, a lot of you may have heard or seen the impact of it. Uh, our numbers uh, at this point of time, uh, just to give you uh, COVID impact, the 450,000 cases is now at 40,000 cases a day. That's a dramatic drop. And the impact of it, uh, and with 20% plus first jab rate, if I'm not wrong, with that perspective, uh, I'm happy to share that our numbers in India is almost around 70% plus of pre-wave 2 levels. And if all goes well in a couple of weeks, we'll be back to pre-wave 2 and then growing from there. Especially at hill stations, you can't find a place. So that's the first perspective of recovery. We are seeing very uh, meaningful recovery around the world linked to vaccines, uh, leading to our gross margin dollar recovering uh, fully to pre-COVID levels, even if not the uh, revenue, just given the uh, margin shift. OYO in itself has dramatically changed. As you know, OYO's primary focus always was being able to come in and bring a product and ensure that uh, merchants' revenue grew. But a lot of uh, people ask me, how does that happen? Typically, there are two ways uh, or two channels by which we give additional revenue. One is through our own app and website. And the other is through third parties like Airbnb, Booking, Expedia, and so on. We have actively built platforms on pricing, content management, reviews and ratings improvements, and a full product stack with over 1,000 engineers and product managers, data scientists, uh, operation managers who have built it over the years. In that area, we have doubled down our focus on technology and engineering because it's the first time where human-driven engagements have dramatically dropped. So, for instance, earlier, we used to have human-based sales of all the hotels, right? You may have heard about OYO's business development managers going and selling our product to all the hotel owners. Now, increasingly, you will see that those business development managers will increasingly become enablers for resellers and direct digital uh, access to the platform. And last but not the least, consumer trends. Staycations are in vogue. You will see more and more people uh, do staycations rather than travel far. Domestic tourism is the new international tourism. Uh, And most of all, 
holiday homes and work from anywhere is not going to be a short term trend it will of course reduce the percentage of that but uh, i think in the long term you will see flexible working uh, linked to uh, travel be a very very big opportunity i just want to draw you a little bit on the sort of india market i mean as you said it's sort of been very bruised and battered and there's sort of a perception that we're all you know no one is going anywhere or doing anything at least on the outside um but actually the reality is a little bit more mixed on the ground i mean can you just give us a little bit more color about what you're seeing in india in terms of just travel trends and how quickly you think the recovery will continue from here so i think uh, the uh, as it is around the world leisure is the one coming back stronger than that of urban uh, oyo has historically had a reasonably strong leisure and staycation presence in india so that is why we are able to come back slightly quicker so just to give you quick color by some anecdotal experiences i of course spend a lot of time meeting our customers and merchants on the ground and learning from them and of course encouraging our colleagues so just a week back i was in shimla shimla is a beautiful town uh, in the himalayas anyone who's listening to us and uh, does plan at some point of time in the future to travel to india do check this place out uh you know the, the city was crowded um uh, the the core streets uh, which are the heart of the city it was almost impossible to find a walking area in some of uh, the locations uh, a lot of hotels were completely sold out uh and as is the case with manali and a few other places second anecdote if you go to restaurants in delhi mumbai bengaluru um you know which are uh, uh, you know it's hard to find a reservation you need to reserve um you know days in advance if not hours uh in in a lot of places and all of this has happened in a period of a month uh, there's a meme going on the internet saying uh, it took um, you know a, a month and a half for uh, our nation to uh, uh, get to a place where there are no oyo rooms available in manali so there is uh, there is rapid trends of of uh, travel and of course what we're still seeing is that people are being quite cautious masks are everywhere you still see people wearing mask you see people trying to social distance themselves vaccination uh, is a priority for people in cities like gurgaon and delhi you're seeing vaccination rates at above 50% so that's sort of the anecdotal color i think the business driven color is that you know you you uh, a lot of matrix like that of uh, collections of gst gst is the equivalent of uh, vat or indirect taxes in india they are coming back quite strongly uh, so i think india as a as a market is is highly resilient and can bounce back quite quickly frankly to my surprise because with the wave 2 and i was in delhi at that point of time i was hearing the tough news we were trying to help our employees the local ecosystem um in those times it's it's been it's been quite fascinating to me how uh, how how we're seeing rapid uh, evolution from there that's a positive note to uh, sort of end on i mean a just quick question i mean when you can next travel for pleasure where will you go that's a tough one but uh, you know while oyo operates around the world i would say uh, you know uh, uh, three places just to make sure that three of the teams of our um, uh, key market leading geographies are okay with it i think uh, in india i think one of the places that's my uh, favorite locations to go to is kovalam in kerala uh, for those of you uh, don't know about kerala it's it's one of the nicest places to be in great backwaters 
Um, uh, I'm headed at one point of time to Denmark. So one of my favorite uh, holiday homes is uh, in the south of, um, uh, sorry, north, south of North Sea, uh, which is uh, which is a great place. And then uh, last but not the least is a bunch of our holiday homes and hotels in Bali are quite popular. Uh, so, uh, you know, while of course I look to head forward to there, but uh, if any one of you do travel to any of these places, look out for you. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already done so, please sign up for The Exchange, The Views Room and other Reuters podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or wherever you prefer to go to source your favourite broadcasts. You can also check us out at breakingviews.com and on Twitter at Breaking Views. Thanks for tuning in. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.